Good morning. Welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today we conclude our series through the book of Philippians. Having walked through the depths of Paul's encouragement to the church in Philippi, we reach now today the final section where he affirms his gratitude for their partnership in joining with him through his trials. One of the greatest evidences of the church of Jesus Christ is found in our willingness to carry one another's burdens. We will examine today some final conclusions as Paul helps us identify the characteristics of the people of God as the family of God. Thanks for listening. So my kids make a mess in in our house. I mean, they are really experts at this. It's incredible sometimes how um, absent-minded I think they can be to play with one thing and then forget what to do with it and just add the next thing to the mess. And Sadie, boy, she's the worst of all. And I, I, you don't even know how bad it is. It's, uh, she, she's, she's wonderfully messy, right? But one of the challenges in, in our house, everybody has a role to play. Not, not anyone gets a day off. And um, my wife does an amazing job of making sure that at the end of every day, all the jobs are taken care of. So the house is set back in order. And that's a difficult task to do, especially when you have kids that don't want to pick up their toys. And I got to give Mike a little bit of credit here because you know what? Sometimes it's his job to help pick up the toys that he did not make. Now, look, it wasn't his problem. It wasn't his fault. But yet he's still called to participate because he's a member of the family and you got to help out. And every now and then you get one of these looks, right? And he just wants to, he wants to sit on the bench or sit out of participating, but that's not allowed because you're, you're a member of this family and, and we all have a role to play. We all have something that we have to contribute. Um, I found this particularly distressing this past weekend when my wife was gone to Mary Grove in Curcio. <laughs> guess which part of the family had to step up and help with that. Um, but that's the rule. That's how it goes. Everybody has a role to play. Nobody gets to sit out. Even if it's not your necessary job, you, you get to lend a hand. And it causes me just to think about what it means to be part of the family of God. What does it mean to be part of the church? Um, I was talking this past week uh, with, <clears throat> with Patty Carpenter. We were up here watching the little kids which I'm awesome at. Let me just tell you. Awesome. <laughs> and we, we were, I'm totally joking. Thank God for Patty being here. I just got to tell you. Um, but we, we really did have a good time with them. And as Patty and I were out here looking around, we were kind of talking through our church and, and, and just what could be and dreaming about stuff. And it's just a lot of fun to do. And one of the things that I was mentioning to her that is one of my favorite characteristics of our church here at Grace is what I would call our crooked smile. Do you, you, you ever know anybody who's got a crooked smile? You know, it's like, it's not really... All together, but it's the most endearing part of them. You know, you just, you, no one else has it like they have, you know. And, and here at Grace, I think it's the crowd of humanity in front of the door at 859. I feel like that is our crooked <laughs> smile. If you're going to come and visit Grace, you're going to have to like fight your way through people to get into the sanctuary. And I love that. Do you know there are so many churches that don't have that? There are so many churches where people just come in and find their seat and that's where they belong. And if someone else is sitting in their seat, let me just tell you that throws their whole day off. Can't worship Jesus now. That's not how it is here. I love it at Grace. I love it because um, as Patty and I were talking, we were, we were talking about what the church was, but it's not this place at all. The, the church is not a building. The church is not a, a service that you attend. Uh, 
even for me, as I kind of earlier alluded to this morning, I just had kind of a rough night and coming to church sort of felt like one of those things I had to do. Anyone with me? You know what that's like? Yeah. But then when everybody shows up, that's the church. The church is the family of God. This is that little glimpse of reunion that you and I get where the cares and the worries and the anxieties of life are meant to not be welcome in this place. Because this is a place of peace where we have met the King of Kings and found love unending. This place where we gather, we are the church when we come together. Everyone has a role to play as we come together. Everybody has something to contribute in the family of God. I was reading a book recently by Francis Chan, a pastor who left his megachurch and started these small little churches where you could have that family type of atmosphere. And he was just recounting back at the mega church where he was uh, this one ex-gang member, a, a young teenage young man. Uh, he came out of that life. Uh, it's just difficult life to, to be in a gang. And he came to be welcomed into the church. And for a few months, it, it felt like that. It felt like the crooked smile of having everybody there and just enjoying one another's fellowship. But pretty soon he found that that dissolved after a while. And uh, he, he, he was discouraged and didn't want to come back to church. And Francis Chan was talking to him and he said, you know, I didn't realize that church was just a place that we attended. I, I didn't realize that's what this was because he compared it to what it was like to be in a gang. Gangs really are outside of the, the scope of what we face here in the UP. But I'm sure you understand that if you were down in the inner city to be part of a gang needs to be welcomed to the family. And there are expectations to be involved in that family. And we got each other's back in a gang. Isn't that what the church should be? Shouldn't the church be a place where we've got each other's back? Shouldn't the church be a place where we all have something to contribute when we come? But how easy it is in American Christianity, Western Christianity, to just come and attend and have a place where we we go, and if we don't like it, if the pastor's too long, if the music ain't good, we, you know, we can go to a different one and attend that one. Something that's more to our liking. And we're consumers in this world when it comes to church. And you've totally missed it. We've completely missed the calling of what the true nature and the identity of the church is. It's a family, amen? amen. The church is a family. It's not a place you attend. It's not a service that you can go to. And in a family... You put up with each other. Any amens on that one? Yeah. yeah. You've got to put up with each other. You know that's not how it works in our world, though. If, if, you, don't, if you don't like how things are going, you get a divorce. That's, how, that's, that's so common in our world. It wasn't always that way. It is today. Even children. Um, have you heard of the emancipation law? If they don't like their parents? Yeah, disown my parents. Um, if it's not meeting my consumer tastes for what's easy and desirable for me, I can find a different path. The grass is always greener and I can pursue whatever best fits my desires. Uh, we live in a misunderstood understanding of what family means. And hear me now, the corruption of the family in our world will follow the corruption of society. Can I say that again? Did you catch that? The corruption of the family in the world will ultimately lead to the corruption of society. The, the reversal of that, the repair, is finding godly families. That when we function as small little family units and then come together as the church, that leads to a healthy church. I want you to see the contrast between how we ought to live and how the church lives. 
I want you to know that there is a misunderstanding uh, that probably you carry subconsciously. You may not even be aware of it to think that I can go to church. Anyone ever use that phrase? I'm going to church. Can't do that. You are the church. You're a part of the church. It's not some place that you can go. It's not some place that you can simply attend. And it's not some place where you are permitted to sit on the sidelines. Especially if you think it's somebody else's mess. And why do I got to deal with this? This ain't my problem. Why, why do I need to give them my time or my money or my energy? It's somebody else's. Uh-uh, time out. That's not how it works in the family. That's not how it works. We all have a role to play. I've entitled this message this morning, The People of God as the Family of God. Uh, we're ending Philippians today. Can you believe it? We've been in Philippians for months. We're going to reach the very last verse of this letter that Paul writes. <clears throat> I want to remind you again. Why he writes this letter. What page are we on there? 1830. 1830 in your pew Bibles if you want to turn there. Philippians 4 is where we're going to be. As we um, prepare to dive into this final installment in this series, again, just as a reminder, Paul writes from prison to a church, <coughs> excuse me, to a church that sent him a, a gift. The church in Philippi loved the Apostle Paul. They heard that he was in trouble. He's locked up in jail. They think it's terrible and so they send him help because they just want to participate in that ministry with Paul. Paul writes them this four chaptered thank you note. Anybody like that? Who, who overdoes it on thank you notes? Yeah. I struggle with just the simplest. Thank you. Love Ryan. <laughs> Hugs and kisses, right? Whatever you got to do, right? But that's not Apostle Paul. He's going to write four chapters for a thank you note. Today's particular passage is the thank you portion of it, all right? This is where we really get into how he's going to communicate his appreciation and his understanding of what the church in Philippi was doing to partner with his situation. And I'd love to, I'd love to go through a real lengthy review, but you know, just for time, just remember in chapter 1, what he's doing is he's reversing their thinking. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is... Yeah. We're good on that. We've been over that many times. He says that it's been granted on you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer. Do you remember that? Right? Suffering is part of the story of the Christian life. And for Paul, it meant being locked up in jail. But he writes to the Philippians, I want you to know that, that what's happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. It, 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 you're going to face tough days, folks. You are going to face times where you feel like, Paul locked up in jail. Don't ever think that God's sovereignty is not able to take your situation and turn it around for his glory. He will use everything that you and I face, good or bad, for his glory. And you just need to look for it. And sometimes you need to wait for it. And that's what Paul was doing in jail. But all the while recognizing, even though I'm not out there preaching, somebody else is preaching. He says, but what will I say? I'm going to rejoice for Christ is preached. In chapter 2, he builds for us this very important uh, doctrine of your being united with Christ. If, remember the idea between the vertical and the horizontal, right? If you've been made right with God, who should you also be made right with then? One another. If you have any comfort from his love, any fellowship with the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion, he says, then, then make my joy complete. Like, let's go all the way with it by being like-minded, having the same love. And caring for one another. And he says, your attitude to do this needs to be like that of Jesus. And Jesus humbled himself. So that's the key. You could, you could go back and listen to those messages again. But just remember that the key to be able to be unified horizontally with one another. right, To get along in the family of God. For you, it depends on 
Humility, that's the path there. In chapter 3, he addresses these false teachers. Do you guys remember that? We spent a couple of weeks looking at false teachers. There were some people who said you've got to add circumcision to the gospel. Paul says they're mutilators of the flesh. They have confidence in the flesh. I have more than anybody, but let me tell you what I think of my confidence. It's rubbish. Do you remember that section? He says, I consider it loss for the sake of Christ. It's great reversal as to how the world thinks compared to how we think. And so this brings us to chapter four. We, we looked at unity early on. Last week, we looked at uh, contentment, two things that the world lacks. Today's passage is going to begin in chapter four, verse 14, through the end of the chapter. As we study here, this thank you portion for the gift the Philippians sent. I'm going to read. I invite you to follow along. Paul says, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I've received full payment and even more. I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphrodite the gifts that you sent. They're a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To God, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me, send greetings. And all the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. There, that's, that's the letter. Um, as we seek to study this and, and, and listen to what the Holy Spirit would speak to us, I have a few observations I want to give to you. First is this, the family of God, and this is what it means to be part of the family of God. The family of God carries one another's burdens. The family of God carries one another's burdens. If you go back in verse 14 at the beginning, you'll see it right there. Right as he leads off, he says, it was good of you to share in my troubles. There's a story in the Old Testament uh, containing the book of Ruth. I'm, I'm sure most of you are familiar with this story. You have uh, Ruth um, with her husband Elimelech and their two boys, Malon and Kilion, and they have a famine in their land, and so they leave to go find food. They go to a foreign country outside of their homeland, the, the land of Moab. And as they go there, the two boys, they find wives. Moabite women, which is really not something that you're supposed to be doing as an Israelite, but there, sure enough, they marry Israelite women. However, in the course of time, the dad, Elimelech, he dies. And then the two boys die as well. Man, it's tough. There, there, there's your trouble, right? There's your sorrow. Ruth, she, she bows her head um, with Naomi, uh, her her mother-in-law, Ruth, is one of the wives here of, of, of the boys, now a widow. What's she to do? And she and her sister-in-law, Orpah, they both follow Naomi. And uh, Naomi travels now back to her homeland. But as they're going, Naomi says, look, ladies, there, there's nothing for you here anymore. There's nothing for you. I, I've only got trouble in my life. I've lost my husband. I've lost my two sons. 
What is there for you to follow me? Go back to your own people. Find new husbands, which was a big deal in that day. If you weren't married, if you as a single woman in that day, that's a pretty difficult uh, road to hoe ahead of you. Orpah, the one she kisses her mother-in-law, and she does. She turns back and goes back to Moab. But Ruth, Ruth says something amazing. I have it here. She replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be ever so severely, even if death separates you and me. Uh, The family of God, the church of God, do you know what we do? We carry one another's burdens. Ruth says to Naomi, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm going I'm to be with you through this. <laughs> I didn't put the next verse up on here, but it essentially said Naomi got tired of telling her. So she was like, fine, come on then, I guess. Let's go. <laughs> so one of the most important things that you can do in your family is to care for those who are hurting. It's going to happen. You're going to find opportunities to do that. You, as part of the family, are called to sit with them, to walk with them, to be with them where they are. The best illustration I have of this is when my son gets sick, Micah, when he gets sick, uh, my wife is tired as she is and she works super hard. Do you know what she does when Micah's sick? She stays up all night and and she she would hold him. She would be there for him. Anything that he he would need, she would be right there. I'm busy. You know, I'm just... uh, She's willing to sacrifice, to give, to help meet the need of the one who is hurting because the church... The family of God, they carry one another's burdens. Uh, in, in our world today, this is going to be found most often in a way that you and I can help to meet physical needs. Uh, p- people who, who need more uh, than what they have, and maybe you have more than what you need. Uh, the early church was defined by this. Uh, this is kind of foreign in America. It's kind of a foreign thing to think of. But if you go back to the beginning of the book of Acts, it said that they would sell their property to give to those in the church who were in need. Should I get preachy on that? What do you think? Who's going to sell their property here? I mean, that's a, that's a big deal. This is what they were doing. They saw this isn't just a stranger who's coming to get theirs. And you know how antagonistic you and I can be. Yeah, well, get a job, right? Or, you know, why can't you work harder? That, right? You're just going to spend it on, I was going to say booze, but probably not booze. But you know, how our, that's how our attitude goes. Our attitude does not think that this is a member of our family. We still think that this is somebody else. My wife would sacrifice anything for the member of her family. Church is not a place where you can come as strangers. You and I are called into a family. Do you, do you know the most common phrase for one another in the family of God is a brother or a sister? You only do that if you're part of a family. What is, what is God himself portrayed as? Jesus' name for God is Father. We have been adopted. Romans chapter 8 says that you've been adopted. That you have the spirit of sonship. That we know we are God's children. So look, if you're a part of God's family, it means that we have the opportunity to give and to help and to share. I'm not saying this is going to be easy. I'm just saying it's your privilege to get to do. Listen to what uh, James writes. James chapter 2. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Suppose a brother or a sister. What's that mean? Brother or sister implies what? Family. Brother or sister, we're talking about family here. A brother or sister is without clothes and daily food if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, be well fed. Man, they ought to slap you if you said that. (laughs) 
but does nothing about their physical needs. You, you want to find hypocrisy? Right here. That's it. Good, good luck on you. I got to go. What good is it, he says, in the same way faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. Or if that's not enough for you, listen to the Apostle John. He says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister, what's brother or sister imply? Family in need, but has no pity on them. How can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us love not with words. Go be well. Good luck. Stay warm. Don't love with words or with speech, but with actions. And in truth, you know what our quilting ladies do every Tuesday? They love with actions. God's given them that gift to be able to provide for those who would be cold, those who would be in need. Even to just feel the simplicity of the love of somebody who put the time into making a quilt. Do you know how long it takes to make a quilt? I didn't. I, I came up this past week. It's an incredible, incredible amount of work. You really got to love what you're doing to be part of that. But that's what they do to show love. Because they're not loving with words or speech. How are they doing it? With actions and in truth. So that, that's number one. The family of God carries one another's burdens. Uh, you, you and I at this church, we have opportunity to serve our missionaries. Um, we did two years ago, we sent hats and gloves, right, to uh, uh, Grand Rapids. That's, that's going to be an opportunity we're going to get to do this year again. And maybe even more. I want you to know, brothers and sisters aren't just here in Sagola. Right? The church is vast. And as we find out there's need, let us be those people who want to carry one another's burdens. Number two, the family of God does not wait to be impressed. In order to help, you don't just wait and say, well, yeah, prove you really need help and then maybe I'll show up. We, we, uh-uh, that's not how it works. I want you to look back in the verse here. Look at verse 15. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. The church in Philippi did not wait to see if Paul's ministry was going to be the kind that we should invest in. Let, let, let's, let's, give, let's give some time here and evaluate this thing. No, they saw here's an opportunity to give, and so what did they do? Did they form a, a search committee? Did they, they take time to diversify votes and opinions. Should we get our, let's do our do. No, what did they do? That's what potentially all the other churches done. I, I cannot tell you how much we complicate ministry in America. You know, in order for us to give, you know what we got to do? Well, we got to form a committee first. And now what we got to do? Now we got to vote on this. And then we probably got to get a separate committee to affirm the vote for the first committee. And no, just don't wait to be impressed. Don't wait, just answer the call. And, and don't show favoritism to one or the other. Give as God leads you to give. I want you to see this out of James 2. Again, he says, if you really keep the royal off on the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing right. But if you show favoritism, I don't know how much we like them over there. And really, we should give over here. Well, listen, you sin and you're convicted by the law as lawbreakers. The family of God doesn't wait to be impressed with that. In fact, I want, I want you to see this in one other place. Hold your spot in Philippians. Turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Just a few pages back in your Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In Philippians, we read how Paul is recounting, I set out for Macedonia. It was early in the ministry. No one shared with me except those Philippians. Man, those Philippians. I want you to see kind of the historical recount of that. 2 Corinthians 8. What page are we on there? 
1801 in the Pew Bibles, just right there at the beginning, if you're with me. 2 Corinthians 8, 1, Paul says, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Did you catch that? The the Macedonian churches, where they swim in like Scrooge McDuck in money? Is that what he says? They had extreme poverty mixed with what? Do you see joy? This is what happens when joy overcomes whatever your circumstances are. Watch what happens. Verse 3. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and... What's it say? Yeah, well, our, our committee didn't really decide that we should give beyond. Our budget says for this year. Are you kidding me? Throw that budget out. Give. Trust the Lord. I believe that that is one of the absolute best places for a church to be in. When you are convicted by God that, you know, we really ought to do this thing, but the board says it's not in the budget, that's when you should do it. Now, I'm not talking being irresponsible. I'm getting some looks like this here. I've got to be careful, all right? Uh, Hear me now. When it comes to giving, if you're not giving by faith, you're giving out of your own strength. God will not bless that. God is pleased when when his children walk in faith. And when we respond to the opportunities God gives us, not by our own means, but to say, we believe this is right. And we're going to trust that God is going to meet our need as we seek to serve. Don't wait to be impressed. Let me finish this passage here. He says, verse 4, they urgently pleaded. Oh, I I missed the end of 3. Look at that. Even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. All right, you can go back to Philippians now. That, that's the picture. That's exactly what Paul is referencing in chapter 4. These churches that, that just gave, not out of their abundance, but out of that calling to say, boy, we love what's going on. We want to help. We want to be part of it. Number three is this. The family of God re- gives repeatedly to needs. I want to invite you again. Look down in verse 16. Verse 16, he says, For even when I was in Thessalonica, Different city, right? Well, they ought to take care of them over there. No, he says, even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. The family of God gives repeatedly. This is one thing that I feel like we need to hear too because oftentimes uh, we do get a little bit jaded. If you have to keep giving to the same thing, you think, why do I got to keep giving to the same thing? Shouldn't they, shouldn't they ha- have it figured out by now? Imagine if the church would have said that to Paul. Here's, here's how I think of it. It's not that there's somebody who's being kind of, hey, if you got any extra change today, you know. It's, it's not that type of situation. These are people who are serving God beyond their own means, which mean they need the church. Uh, a while back, we were installing the, that overflow TV, you know, when you guys walk in the building right here on, on the end to help folks in the back see what's going on. Um, and I was working with our intrepid uh, maintenance man, Marvin Bro. And in order to keep Marvin off the ladder, I was on the ladder. Now, let me tell you about this ladder we had. This thing was one made in 1805. (laughs) They used it in the Civil War. Brought it up here from Kentucky. No. So a little bit shaky on this ladder. And every time I would go up, right? Every time I would be the one out there, hooking up the electricity or putting the brackets up. Do you know where Marvin was? He was holding it. 
And then I'd come down and I have to get a tool. And then I go back up. And where was Marvin? On the ladder. And then I come down again. I have to get another piece. Go back up. Where was Marvin? No, he, he didn't get to the point of saying, how many, how many times I got to hold this thing for you now? <laughs> That's not how it works. We, we as the church of God, we give repeatedly to needs because these are those individuals who are out there, who are risking it, who are serving. And we have possessions. We have the ability to help. Um, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to see that our role to play in it. I, I was kind of convicted this the other day. I was picking Mike up from school and I parked by the high school and there were these two high school boys that started to, I got my truck right here and these two high school boys start to shove each other around right next to my truck. And so I just looked the other way. But what, I mean, what would you do? I mean, in my heart, I'm kind of thinking, well, first of all, I'm going to get arrested if I do anything. I'm a little nervous to get too involved here, but um, you know what? I think it's easy for us to think like the priest or the Levite when they see the banged up guy and think, this, look, this is not my problem. This is somebody else's problem to worry about. And not, your, not if you're in the family. That's not how it works in the church. If you see somebody who's in need and you have the ability to help, he who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it is one who sins because God's calling you to trust him by faith. And even if that means repeatedly giving good needs, that's what we do. That's what we're all about is holding the ladder for those who are out there. Number four is this. The family of God looks for the benefit of others. I want you to see Paul's response in verse 17. He says, not that I'm looking for a gift. right? Paul's like, that's not why I'm doing this thing. I'm not out there sending the bat signal up. Not that I'm looking for a gift. He says, but I'm looking for what might be credited to your account. Uh, The word here, the Greek word for looking, could also be translated as like desiring or seeking or Craving. I kind of like that idea, craving. He's saying, it's not like I'm craving a gift. What I'm craving is that more gets credited to your account. There's, there's a lot of theology involved in this. A lot of eschatological theology. The idea that in the last days, at the resurrection, you and I will be judged according to what we have done. Now, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, where are your sins? Are they paid? Yeah. Say amen. Are they paid? Sins are paid. So what else have you done? This is what the judgment for the church looks like. It's a time of receiving the rewards that God would give us that we have worked through his spirit in us. Again, not to our merit, but by his graciousness to us to reward us for these things. (laughs) Check out this passage. Jesus tells in Matthew, a little long, but track with me. He says, the king will then say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was put in prison and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you and the king will reply truly i tell you whatever you did for one of the least of these what's the word what's that word imply family one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine you did for me the 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 answer up here was the reward come come into the inheritance come into the kingdom to receive that which you have done. And they say, what? 
We don't even know when we did that. Jesus says, you did it when you did it for the least of the brothers of mine. Paul's not looking for a gift in himself. He's looking for what what might be credited to their account. No, I'm the worst at this. I remember being a young uh, a child. Uh, my sister's uh, or my, my dad's birthday was in September. My mom's birthday was in September. My sister's birthday was in September. Guess whose birthday wasn't in September? <laughs> so everybody's getting presents, right? And there I, I'm seeing my sister's birthday. She's got all these presents, and I'm secretly hoping one of them is for. What a what a selfish kid, right? Unbelievable. But you see how we're wired. We, by nature, we want a little something. We want, we want something for ourselves. We don't think necessarily that we want the blessing for others. But this is exactly what the people of God do. They don't seek for themselves. They seek to bless others. I want to, I want to remind you of Jesus' words. He said, it is more blessed to give rather than to receive. And so this is what it means to be part of the family of God. All right, number five. The family of God serves one another as serving God. This is, this is an important one for us to understand. When it comes time for how you think about serving others, I, I, wanna, I just want you to hear me real quick. If you think you're doing it for them, you will burn yourself right up. If when it comes time to go and mow a yard or, or uh, wash somebody's windows or go and bake cookies or whatever it is that you might do to help meet an, another person's needs, if you think you're doing it for them, you're only going to do it once, maybe twice, You're certainly not going to do it three or four times. You're going to be burnt right out. Unless you get that right perspective. That you know when I am giving to others, I am actually giving to God. Uh, Check out this passage in Colossians. He says, whatever you do. He's speaking here to the nature of um, expected uh, employment. It was slaves and masters, but how we would today see how we... Uh, work for those in authority over us. He says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. As working for the Lord and not men. When, when, it's, uh, when the leaves fall in the fall, we got this big tree in our backyard. And, and guess what 10-year-old that lives with us gets to do the raking. Yeah. And, and guess how excited he is. Oh. Yeah, if, if you think that you are doing that for another person... Yeah, you're going you're gonna to burn yourself out. But if instead you think that the work and the effort that I give, the energy that I give to serve is given to God, look what he says, since you know that you'll receive, uh, he says, again, I'm going to start from the beginning. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. And just to go back again to the passage out of Matthew, again at the bottom, very, very truly I tell you, that which you did for the least of one of these brothers or sister of mine, you did for who? Are you guys catching this? Say amen if you're catching this. When you seek to serve others, and that which you give, you're giving to God. Look, look with me back in the passage, verse 18. He says, I've received full payment and even more. I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. Now, who did they send them to? The, the Philippian church packaged everything up, put it on Epaphroditus' back and say, we're sending it to Paul. But Paul didn't see it that way. Go on a little bit further. Look what he says. The gifts that you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to who? I thought you were sending them to Paul. Actually, we were doing this for God. Because when the church gives, 
It gives to God. When the church serves, it serves for God. We would do well to recognize this, especially when it comes to giving. I know it's just very tempting in our world today. Well, I'll, I'll give this if there's a tax benefit for it, right? If I can, well, a lot of people think that way. It's a, it's a big thing in our world today. Or sometimes they'll give, but you got to use it for this now. And I'll give, but it's got to go for this only. I, don't, I want nothing to do with this part over here. That's not what it means to give to God. To give to God is to just give freely to the work that God is doing. Here, I'm offering it to God and I'm trusting that God will use it. This, is not in, this sermon is not intended to be necessarily one I'm giving. It's just this is the context that we're in when it comes to giving. I really want you to see how it wraps up into how the family of God serves one another. So when you serve, you serve God. Number six, the family of God must place its trust in God. Uh, verse 19, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches. In Christ Jesus, Paul's overwhelming confidence was that if you give, even if it's tough to give, and sometimes, let's be honest, it is. He says, uh, hey, Donna, I remember, I remember the one time, this was three years ago, we were sitting in there, and we were talking about our our church budget and how we were going to give. And Donna said words that have stuck with me. Here's what she said. You can't outgive God. Now, I've heard that before, but it's sticking in your voice. That's how I'm remembering it. You can outgive God, church. You can't. Go ahead, try sometime. You won't be able to outgive God. He will make sure that He takes care of you. Again, in Matthew, Jesus' words, why do you worry saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your Heavenly Father knows you need them, but seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. The family of God places its trust in God, and I want you to know something. It's so much more freeing when you live trusting God. It's a hard thing to serve and to give if you're not trusting God. What's it say on your money? What's it say? In whom we trust. Yeah, right. Do you? Yeah, right. Imagine if we really did. Imagine if you really did trust what Paul is saying here. Fully confident God will meet whatever your needs are. Because in God we trust. Money means nothing. Because I don't trust in money. I trust in God. There, there was a time early on, Sadie was pretty small. We took her to a... Um, one of the parks around in Iron Mountain. And they had one of those swings that has kind of the bucket that kids can sit in. You know what I'm talking about? You put the little kid in there. Well, we put Sadie in there, but she was so little. She's kind of fighting it the whole time. And then you start the swing and she's doing one of these. You know. Does that look fun to anybody? Because what are you having to do to, to really have fun on a swing? To have freedom, what do you have to do? Place your trust in those ropes. But when you do, I mean, think, and if you would go there now, she'll just fly on that swing because what does she do now? She, she trusts that. And listen, that's the same metaphor for what it means to be the church. If you trust in God, it's not going to be a thing for you. You're not going to worry about it. But if you're like this the whole time, you're, it's because you're not putting your trust in God. Number seven, uh, the family of God seeks the glory of God. Verse 20, and to our God and Father be glory forever and ever Amen. I, w- I want you to just notice how this is a bookend phrase for Paul. If you look back to Philippians chapter 1, turn right back to the first chapter. I have it up here on the screen too, but here starting in verse 9, he says, This is my prayer for you, Philippians, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you'll be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to what? 
to the glory and praise of God. To the glory and praise of God, because the family of God seeks the glory of God. Uh, is, is Rosanna still in here, or did she go? She, she's over there. Did, were you listening to the children's message? Nebuchadnezzar, do you remember his deal? What did he say? This kingdom, who built it? And to whose glory? Yeah, and what happened? God said, man, let me just teach you a lesson right now. You know, all, 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 the, all the grace that I'm giving you, you don't even recognize right now? Let me just remove it for a period of time and let's see how glorious you really are. This is a big one, church. Don't ever think it's about you. It's not about the, our name on the sign. It is all to his glory. Amen? That's what it means to be part of the church of God. Lastly, the family of God reaches out. This is the crooked smile that I love at Grace. I love this. And if you see the very end of the letter, verse 21, he can't even end. Don't you love that with Paul? I'm a little bit like that. This sermon should be done by now, and I just got to, I'm just going. I can't end it. He does the same thing. Look, he says amen in verse 20, and then he's like, but I just got to write this one last part. He says, greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send greetings. And all the saints send you greetings, especially those in Caesar's household. I don't want you to miss this. Remember, he's locked up. And so now these Romans are coming to know faith in Jesus Christ. And what do they want to do to their fellow brothers and sisters? Paul, hey, Paul, Paul, you writing a letter? Could you say say hi for me? (laughs) Dylan Billy says, sup. (laughs) So he's got it right there. Because if you and I were part of the Philippian church, do you know where they would be at 859? They'd be right out there. You couldn't even get them in this far because they would be reaching out. They would, they would want to be helping. Here. Got one of these? You see the names? Brothers and sisters. The family of God reaches out. Here's my challenge for you as we end. Who is someone in the church who is in need? You know of anybody? Look, you can't do it all. No one can do it all. Everyone can do something, though. Everybody can reach out. You got, to, to think that you can come and be like, hey, my mess, somebody else's mess, you're missing the point. You don't get to sit out on this thing. We are in the family together. We work together on this. There is no sitting on the sidelines. And this is my challenge. If you belong to the family of God, I want to encourage you to find someone who is in need, and I just want you to share in their burdens. I don't know what that means for you. I think you know what that means. And so that's my challenge to you today. Galatians 2, last, last verse says, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Lois read it for us out of John 15. This is my commandment, Jesus says. Love one another. Will you pray with me today?